Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yay. First episode of the year. Do you like my kazoo impersonation? I did. That was actually very <laughs> impressive. Uh, <laughs> you waved at me to like give you a second when the thing started. In my head, I was like, oh, he's going to make a trumpet noise. And he did. He did. That was that was pretty good. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> okay. That's impressive. I want that on a soundboard. <laughs> That should be like, you know how like salespeople have a gong every time they close a deal. It's a gong uh-huh. every time Crate lands a client. It's just the, it's the just Andrew, Andrew making noise. a stupid trumpet noise. <laughs> <laughs> the team starts like begging me to, to like just yeah. shut down the business so we don't close any more work because they're like, God, that noise is so annoying. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh. We don't close, <laughs> we don't close yeah. clients nearly often enough for it to become annoying. Yeah, it's, it's 2022. Things could be different. It's a new 2022. year. 2022. Who boy. Who yeah. yeah. boy. What's going on for you this year, personally, work? I don't have a whole lot of updates because I actually managed to unplug for a week and a half. Amazing. So, like, after our podcast episode that we recorded, I haven't done shit. Um, <laughs> I went to Austin, Texas for Christmas. My little mm-hmm. sister moved there in August. And so my family rented a house in the hill country. It was on top of a hill. There was a pool and a hot tub. Mm-hmm. Maddie went with me. And I basically spent five days like reading and drinking with my family and just like nice. chilling out, navigating some arguments between my mom and my sister, <laughs> and, like helping sure. to mediate a little bit. Sure, But no, it was mostly great. And then came back here for a couple of days. And then we went up to Petoskey, Michigan. Oh, it's like a small town. I'm going to do the hand thing that all the Michigan people do. So if this is the lower peninsula of Michigan, Detroit is here and Petoskey is here. I'm pointing at my hand. This is great podcast content. Okay, so he's going from the bottom content. of his thumb and going to the top of his ring finger. Yep. So nice. basically, very far north. Unlike Michigan, super cold. Mm-hmm. One of Maddie's best friends from high school, her parents moved up there in the last couple of years and have like a big house with a bunch of spare bedrooms. And so a bunch of her friends from high school were up there. So we just nice. went up there for a couple of days for New Year's and it was very nice and very chill. And uh, yeah, trying to ease back into things. Definitely had some anxiety. Like people were talking about the Sunday scaries on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were very real. I was not ready to come back, but I'm here. I feel that. And uh, yeah, I should have a year in review post done by the time this comes out. So nice. link in the description. And uh, nice. yeah, that's pretty much it for me at the moment. Well, I'm glad you took a break. Thanks. After the year that we've had, I'm glad. Yeah. I also took a break. Shorter than yours, but it was December 23rd and in the middle of the workday. Like this wave of just tired hit me. And I was just like, holy shit, I need a vacation. I'm so tired. And yeah, and then I just didn't do anything for the 24th and the 25th and the 26th. And that felt really good to just 
not exist. And then the week after, no one was around, so it was just quiet. I just chilled and did very light amounts of work. Nice. But, yeah. I'm glad you got some rest. I'm going to keep mm-hmm. pushing you to take more rest. Um, I've been resting. I've been resting. I've slept like 13 hours yesterday because of COVID. Oh, right. Because out. of that. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. Which is like a happy <laughs> accident. You know, <laughs> Not happy. Not, Not happy. happy. Sorry to anyone who's ever gotten this infection. I feel for all of you. I currently am suffering from it. So, yeah. Sorry, man. No fun at all. I also got like very mildly sick over mm-hmm. the holidays, but it was like I never had a fever. It was just like mm-hmm. some sinus crap. It sucks to to be sick when you're yeah. trying not to work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry you're feeling bad, man. All good. All good. In later news, mm-hmm. I have a fun new update to tell you. Okay. <laughs> I bought a Christmas present for myself. Mm-hmm. Got me. So like I think that my love for New York City didn't exist until I started watching this one YouTuber vlog every single day about New York. And I was in high school at the time. I think it was super lazy back in high school, too. So, like, I don't know how, but watching Casey Neistat's YouTube vlogs every single day somehow gave me this, like, weird form of admiration and motivation to just do things. And completely changed like how I thought about life. He will do that to you. People do do that to you. Yeah, that's true. That's he gets true. in your head. He's a fucking yeah. good storyteller. And he, he is. gets in your head. He is. So Casey, nice that has, you know, since gone off and done done other things and doesn't really make vlogs anymore. And it's just like a weird day a couple of weeks ago where I open up YouTube, probably like, I don't know, maybe I was on an Uber or somewhere or just not thinking and you know, I see a video. It's like a minute long video. It's like, that's weird. That's a, like a really weird thing. And I open it. And Casey is selling a filmmaking course. <laughs> I go, what the fuck? Because <laughs> my head, you know, when YouTubers are like, you know, successful, I'm air quoting successful people on YouTube, sell a course. It's usually full of bullshit. <clears throat> Ty Lopez. Um, <laughs> Ty Lopez. Anyway, so yeah, I bought his course. And now I'm going to attempt to make a vlog alongside yes. a in real time. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so here for this. Okay, so like he's going to teach you his style of vlogging and filmmaking and then mm-hmm. as and part of the course, the like homework for the course is mm-hmm. to make a vlog of your own as you take yeah. the course. Two yes. Yeah. I saw that exact same video. Nice. I did not open it. I saw he was, is it through Masterclass? Is that right? Monthly, monthly, monthly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the same sort of platforms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Casey Neistat. And I almost, I was like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I don't have the I energy don't... for this. But <laughs> Yeah. I have concerns whether or not I have the energy for this, but I paid for it. And like a gym membership, you stick to it for at least a month. <laughs> that's fucking awesome, man. I'm genuinely excited to watch your vlog. I'm so not excited for you to watch my vlogs. You're going to publish it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Will I the will. first episode be live by the time this podcast comes out? No. No, I don't think so. I think okay. it'll be. Yeah, yeah. How many are, what cadence are you shooting for? Whatever Casey tells me to do, but probably like a monthly one. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I share your mm-hmm. 
love of YouTube and mm -hmm. I watched entirely too much YouTube. Yep. Do not ask me what I was doing before we got on this podcast, please. Working. You were working. Working hard. Yep. Not struggling to get back into the groove after a week yep. and a half. Off. <laughs> but I have thought at times in the past about creating a vlog as mm -hmm. one who watches YouTube does. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, if I created a vlog of my life running crit, it would be the most boring thing in the entire world. So it'd be like, <laughs> and he goes into that dark gray room, shuts the door and sits down at the chair again. All right. <laughs> I tried to create a like a little travel vlog once. Mm -hmm. I went on a backtrack backpacking trip with a friend, just like a you know, an overnight trip. And he is a professional videographer. So I was like, cool. Oh, I'll, cool. He didn't want to take a camera. He was like, I'm sick of, <laughs> of cameras. But I was like, I'll bring a camera and I'll record. And then like you can sort of give me some pointers as we go. I recorded a bunch of these like short little clips. And then I got back and like dragged them all into Final Cut or something Premiere. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. And then the paralyzing fear of sucking hit me. Mm -hmm. And uh, video editing just scares the crap out of me. It's just like there's yep. a steep learning curve and it is yep. hard and you start editing a little bit and then you're like, oh, everything I shot is garbage because I was not thinking about editing at all while I was shooting this. Yep. So I don't say that to discourage you. I think yep. it will hopefully go much more smoothly for you since you were taking the class. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. I'll let you know. It starts on January 10th. It's a month. So... Whenever we record in February, I will let you know. But yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Hopefully, overconfidence in helping me skip the Dunning-Kruger effect kicks in this time. There we go. That's but the word. But usually, in these cases, it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm already terrified of doing it, but it's 2022. But yeah. What else you got going on? So, took some grinding to get that year in review post done. And then mm -hmm. I'm doing a, a short recap for Starter Story. Do you know that site? Pat Walls. Yeah, I feel like I've heard of it. He was really active on Indie Hackers a few years ago and started a blog called Starter Story where he just does interviews with different entrepreneurs. And then we've done a couple of them and mm -hmm. now doing an update. And I'm definitely dragging my feet on it because I started looking at the questions and it's almost the same questions I was asking myself for the year in review post. And so I'm just like, oh, I just rehashed all this. <laughs> you would think that would make it easier, but somehow it makes it harder for me to get excited about it. But going to try to knock that out. We started work with a new client this week. I think I need their written permission before I can officially talk about the client. But excited for that to kick off. And hopefully that'll go well. And then, yeah, just trying to... Trying to ease back into things this week, taking it kind of easy, doing some planning, trying to make sure that gets kicked off well and that things are, are running smoothly. And then going to really try to push starting next week on getting back into sales. Saw the cold email that we were doing kind of mm -hmm. like slow down mm -hmm. in terms of responses and stuff. And my hope is that it has to do with it was December. Everyone was like busy into the year, yep. didn't want to yep. answer a cold email. And so I'm hoping like kind of if I start that back up next week, people will be kind of re-energized and thinking about how can we make things better for this year. And so I'm hoping to that that'll lead to some conversations. And then I think I've talked before about the VC list project that mm -hmm. we put together. Yep. That's live now. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done much of anything to promote it. So mm -hmm. the big thing I want to do is just send an email to every VC on the list and just say, hey, here's this thing if you want to 
update anything, let me know. If you want to chat, let me know. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to get moving on both of those things. And then that's kind of, those are the things that are top of mind right now. We'll see what changes <laughs> cool. as the week progresses. Yeah, I was going to ask if you have done any, if you know, if you've brought it up on Twitter yet for the VC list, because it's pretty useful. It's a pretty useful tool. Yeah, I can't remember, honestly. It's probably worth doing some more Twitter mm-hmm. promotion of it. Mm-hmm. I had this idea that I think could either annoy the shit out of people or could work pretty well. I was going to do this with like, I wrote, you know, 58 InfoSec acronyms or something like that earlier this year. And I was going to create a Twitter thread with every, like each tweet was an acronym. So I was going to create a 58 tweet long Twitter thread. And that sounds painful. (laughs) It does sound painful. But I was like, it was sort of inspired by, I think Disney created a Twitter thread of like every Disney movie ever or something like that. And everyone kind of engaged with it. And I don't know. I thought it would either piss people off and people would be like, oh my God, get this shit out of my feed or be mildly interesting. And so I thought Mm -hmm. about potentially doing that with the VC list as well. There's only like 12 or 16 on your VC list, right? I feel like it's closer to 20 or 30, but I could be wrong. Oh, I also could be wrong. I Yeah, that is also very plausible. It's not too bad regardless. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't be anywhere near as much work or as obnoxious as, yes. Yes. <laughs> as the 58 yeah. acronyms. So, yeah. Well, one is mansplaining acronyms at some point, and there is... That's valid. The other is like, hey, here's a thing that not a lot of people have done. I don't know. That'd be cool. I think you should do it. Okay, so there are 33 okay. venture capital firms. I think there's a couple of private equity firms. Oh, cool. But 33 firms on the list. Mm. Yeah. It'd be very interesting to like pit them against each other to see who has picked the biggest winners of every single year. But maybe our friends at Return on Security can do a little something like that. That would be cool. That would be cool. I don't know how exactly you would get access to that data until like the companies in their Mm -hmm. portfolio announce another round Mm -hmm. and another valuation, which they don't always announce valuations with rounds. A lot of people just announce the the round. Mm -hmm. But that would be really fun to see Mm -hmm. who's performing the best yeah not that that necessarily means they're the best for the entrepreneurs yeah hmm. that'd be cool i think mike is going to do some kind of cool stuff with some of his data this year so mm-hmm. i'm excited to see what he does with some of it yeah me too yeah cool oh the other thing that i'm kind of that i'm gonna be working on for a good chunk of q1 is trying to figure out a more concrete marketing strategy for us in 2022 mm-hmm. so And that probably means finding some freelancers to fill certain roles. Although I am currently reading Company of One by Paul Jarvis and asking the question of like how many people I feel like I have the energy to manage this year. And so whether I should try to build a team of freelancers or maybe, you know, keep the team pretty small and just try to do a little bit more myself. And that's some work that I'll be doing over the next few months. Mm -hmm. Cool. That sounds yeah, I think that's a good idea. Marketing. It's so easy to do for other people. It's so hard to do for yourself. It is tough. It is yeah. really tough. What's going on in your world other than sleeping for 13 hours? Well, first of all, I want to go back to sleep for 13 hours. Yeah. I'm going to knock right out after this podcast. As you should. As you yes. very much should. Yes, yes, yes. What else do I have going on? Well, we 
I guess we brought a new person on. Cool. I guess like this isn't like a fair descriptor of her role now, but shout out to Victoria. She's our new FP&A manager. But really, really like... What is FP&A? Financial planning and analysis manager. And the fact that there's a lot to be desired when I like think about our company's finances and things and like all the... So there's two goals that I have as we kind of get into 2022, right? Which is one, invest design capital into some of the startup clients we work with, like have cash and equity contracts Mm -hmm. with startups that we really believe in and kind of move closer to that space, to be honest, so that Miscreates is on the cap table with some of our friends. And then two, continue to invest and launch new projects, right? I told you about the security product we've been working on for a while. And, you know, that complicates our finances and our ability to project how much, project money and then all these things. And my one internship in finance has only taught me so much. And Victoria is significantly better at all that than I am. So super glad to have someone whip us into shape. I think it's also a large part of just keeping our ducks in order, which I'm much more like an organized chaos everything's flying at once type of person as mm-hmm. I think many creatives are. So it's good to have someone, you know, be a lot more organized and help me make more informed financial decisions. So, yeah. Yeah. We brought on an accounting team last year. Nice. A company called Accountfully cool. based out of Charleston and Nashville. It's been really helpful to just before we were doing it ourselves for a while, we had the admin on our team helping us mm-hmm. with it and they did the best they could as they not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This shit's complicated. It's yeah. There's reasons people get degrees in this stuff, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's been really helpful to just have someone who who really knows what they're yep. doing, who can keep an eye on things and just make sure we're not getting too far off track and yep. keep things sort of organized. So yeah, straight up learning a new acronym a day. I learned what a weighted average cost of capital was yesterday. I still don't know what that. I know what it stands for, by the way, when I say it, I'm learning learning new acronyms. But yeah, yeah, that one internship in finance is not doing me a lot of good, apparently. I feel like or if you spend a lot course. of times with it, the more time I spend with accountants, the more I feel like all of business is just made up because there's so many different ways to look at the yeah. same numbers. And it's like, this mm-hmm. should be easy. Like there should be one yeah. way of doing this, but there's a million different ways to cut and arrange and splice the numbers and yeah. move things around. And genuinely, the more I, time I spend with accountants, the more I'm like, it's all made up. None of it's this capital. is real. It's not money. None of this it's is not, real. It's not money. It's just weird math things that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super impressive. I'm super excited to have her on the team. And yeah, I think like this is, was the step we needed to kind of continue to move forward in a lot of our other goals. So yeah. Cool. I think we talked about crits goals for 2022 and you were doing heading to an all hands with your team. Mm. I know that crit has like very specific playbooks for things. Dude, you're giving me a face. <laughs> like we have a playbook. Uh-huh. We have moved it over to a new tool called slab. Nice. It is a constant work in progress. And mm. yeah, this is processes and systems are just fucking hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, our road mapping process, which we've been doing for years, mm-hmm. is only like half documented. And the last time we did a road mapping project, we kind of changed a couple things midway through. And so now we need to go back and rethink how we document that piece. 
It's like you need a technical writer or something. <laughs> Probably. That's what we were talking about before the call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a item internally that we owe a lot of like love and effort. The other goal that I've told the team or another, you know, kind of like action item for Q1 that I've told the team is just like a refresh of the current site and mm -hmm. branding and everything. Like there's a lot of work that happened that is not on the website mm -hmm. and would be good to showcase a lot of that since otherwise everything else is relatively stale. And then as I've told you, like we want to start moving closer to like also being a agency that invests like that invests in our clients. So now that we have or should have two in our portfolio by next month, we can have a little portfolio tab mm -hmm. on our website. And that's super exciting. Yeah. How much time have you spent thinking about that model and the sort of trade-offs there and how to make it work? A lot. Um, I've also spoken to a couple of people. So for those who don't know or haven't heard this spiel like a million times for me, is that as much as Miscreants is a creative agency, Miscreants has always been was started and meant to become a startup studio. We'll never stop offering our like creative services, but something that we would very much like to do is to either incubate internal ideas and turn them and spin them out into new projects or to work with really smart founders who just need our knowledge of marketing and branding and design so that they can take their really cool technical product and take that to market. So with startup studios, I think there's a couple of different variations that are attractive which is probably a much longer call i think drew riley has a very good short blog post with a bunch of links on this drew riley who writes i think trends vc right mm -hmm. so but the long and short of it is there's many types of starter studios we can either invest our own cash we can invest in our own ideas or external ideas or we could also at some point raise like a sidecar fund which is like a spinoff of miscreants led by people who lead miscreants and then raise money and basically become like a micro VC fund. Those are super interesting. Definitely have been occasionally recommended against that for the time and or like the current position that we're in just because, you know, frankly, miscreants has, we're still relatively new, like, and as much as I think I can pick winners, that is yet to be proven. So currently the way that we were going about it is occasionally taking like a cash equity deal with some of our clients. And I think it makes sense also because it aligns the incentives, right? Like we're not just here for the cash. Like we are now literally invested in your company. We may have taken a loss at doing this just so that just because we think that this startup has so much room to grow. And yeah, that's pretty much it. So we'll see how it works. There's a couple of companies in New York that actually already do this in the DTC space, which is what we got original inspiration from. So Red Antler and Gin Lane, I think, were mm. companies that took early stock. Uh, I think also, crap, what is their name? Uh, Andrew Wilkinson's agency back in the day. Metalab? Yeah, Metalab, I think, had cash equity deals with Slack and other companies. So, Yeah, I've always been curious. Uh, like, I, I would love to see uh, Andrew Wilkinson go super deep and super transparent on the Metalab's growth because it's mm. it's not 100% clear how much of it was actually Metalab and how much of it was taking like profits from Metalab and then spinning it out into mm -hmm. something else, which is also a common pattern. Barrel, who we both follow, yep. is doing that now where they have yep. a holding yep. company where they're spinning out yeah. new service they offerings. And then... a security company too. Oh, did they? Mm -hmm. Called uh, Pyro. Huh. Yeah, shout out to Peter and... and... Also, well, shout out to Peter at Barrel, who honestly has been like a mentor to me back when Miscreants first started. And 
I think his good friend started a company called Pyro, which is intelligence for dark social media. It's like security tangential. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I was super into this idea when we first started. We actually worked, we did some work with a company who used to be based in New York City. CoVenture. CoVenture was was their name. Mm -hmm. Have remained friends with some of the people from CoVenture. And they were a dev shop that invested in early stage startups and build out people's products. And maybe there's a difference uh, doing it as a dev shop versus a marketing agency. I'm not sure. But they had gone and raised a fund and they were full on VC firm that had kind of a product agency attached. And we, their product agency had gotten to capacity. And so we actually were a part of one of their deals where they paid us cash. And then we did the work on their behalf and they got paid in equity. My feeling is, has always just been that you've either got to get really, really lucky if you're doing just like a couple deals at a time, or you've got to go all in and scale up really fast and act like a VC fund where you're investing in 50 companies a year, or that's maybe overkill, like 10 or 20 companies a year mm -hmm. in order to make the economics work. That's always been my fear or concern with the model. Yeah, I think it's a pretty, there's a lot of risky big bets going in and especially even the ones what was I trying to say in Drew Riley's like posts and trends VC about startup studios like some of the things that startup studios will do is just like they constantly launch new projects like mm -hmm. one new project a week even but it's just like I know that mischief is probably similar in that style mm -hmm. but frankly like they've just kind of found this model of the more lotteries they do, the more money they make. And it's more of like a no shade, but personally, I think it's pretty lazy and disgusting. But they've also held themselves to launching a new No shade, but weeks. it's disgusting. <laughs> okay, okay. You know what? I'm going <laughs> to rant a little bit. Shade. I'm going to rant. That's straight you know up what? shade. <laughs> okay. Complete shade. Absolute shade. Because, you know, the guys in Mischief don't care about what I'm saying. My voice doesn't matter to them. They're not one of our amazing 15 listeners mischief was a really cool product studio in brooklyn they promised the world that every two weeks they released a product which is hard which is very very hard especially because some of these products are physical they've done really phenomenal things like the satan shoes with Lil nas x genius like marketing things that they've done now they have taken the route of constantly working with influencers to do lotteries so basically I'm holding one right now, by the way. You can't see this, but I have one is how. <laughs> but it's basically right. So like I'm holding one that's like Mr. Beast and Mischief. Like everyone gets a car, which is basically you buy a toy Lambo and you for like an obscene amount of money. But one six out of a million toy Lambos will actually be a real Lambo. Right. So there are all these like lottery systems meant to just like kind of prey on gambling habits myself included. But like one or two of these is also still very interesting. And it's like a fun little thing that you can still like with the right brand that you can still do. It's just that recently I've seen multiple versions of this, like multiple iterations of this. So like instead of like everyone gets a Lamborghini, it's that you have to buy a QR code puzzle. And one of these puzzles is a million dollars or you can buy booster packs and inside these booster packs, some of these will be gift cards. So it's literally just live loot, like real life loot boxes, right? Which it's a really easy and cheap way to make products and a really easy way to get funding, like money. But like, frankly, I don't know. Is it like a, like, 
mm, I don't know. It doesn't feel very like ethical to me. Yeah. Especially as you become like a startup studio. I wish they did. Yeah. Anyway, that's my shade. I have really mixed feelings on Mr. Beast on the whole yeah. for that reason is like on the one hand, I get it. He's the super driven kid who has had way more success financially audience wise than I will ever see mm-hmm. genius in terms of figuring out a format that works that people want and then just giving them that format over and over again and continuing to scale it up. And I enjoy watching his videos sometimes. I just watched a few of them the other day mm-hmm. and it was entertaining and the other creators on YouTube seem to respect him and mm-hmm. seem to acknowledge that he's doing something impressive even if he's doing it differently than they would. Mm-hmm. But there's a part of every one of his videos that just feels a little gross to me because they're all just like dumping money on people and Mm -hmm. they're basically just modern game shows Mm -hmm. yeah creative weird quirky interesting game shows but they're all just Mm -hmm. basically game shows yeah and yeah just kind of like random lottery tickets like kind of like you're talking about and yeah it feels a little like a little gross to me at times as well i didn't realize mischief Mm -hmm. had gone kind of all in in that direction i saw they did a couple of those things like their original mischief box which at the Mm -hmm. time felt pretty interesting but in reality is, yeah, just a more creative, funky, quirky lottery ticket. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think it's funny that this podcast became like a YouTube commentary <laughs> podcast. But we went from Casey Neistat to Mr. Beast. Do you want to hear my latest YouTube obsession if we're going down that rabbit hole? Yes, I absolutely do. I'm okay with this being just like a YouTube commentary <laughs> podcast, by the way. That's totally fine. Greg, I'm sorry. Do you know the Vlogbrothers? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think so. John Green and Hank Green. Yes. I okay. like are basically two of the like original OG YouTubers from what I have learned. John Green has written a bunch of young adult novels and is like a famous novelist. And then Hank Green is now, I think, most known for being like a science TikToker at the moment, but also a prolific YouTuber and like has a bunch of podcasts and stuff. I have become obsessed with like going back into the deep archives. They've been, so they have two brothers. One was a famous author, I think pretty early on mm-hmm. started to get some, yeah. some fame. Fulton our stars, yep. et cetera. I don't might Yeah. They're really classic young adult novels of our age. Yep. yep. And I think the story is like, they were like pretty far apart in age, like 15 years apart or something and wanted to be, to get to know each other better. And so, tried started this project where they were going to create little four minute vlogs and upload them to YouTube every day for a year as a way of talking to each other. And they were only going to communicate via these vlogs. And that project has now been going on for 15 years. They are not like one of the biggest channels on YouTube. Like I think they have like three or four million subscribers, although they have gone on to create other channels. So Hank Green started, I think with John, I'm not hundred percent sure started SciShow and Crash Course, which may be bigger now than than Vlogbrothers, I'm not sure. Also started VidCon, which is like the YouTube conference, which I didn't realize. Started an early version of Patreon that eventually sold to Patreon. Started like one of the original merch fulfillment companies for YouTube called DFTBA. It's just like, it's wild how much influence they have had on the platform and how much they have done. And I just kind of knew loosely of John Green as like this young adult novel and had seen Hank Green pop up in some YouTube videos here and there. And then 
I find like YouTube lore kind of fascinating. And so I have just been like digging back through all of their stuff, like their 15 years of archives and like watching these videos and kind of watching the evolution of them. And it's just so nice. interesting to me. And I don't know that they're probably flawed humans, just like all the other YouTubers. I'm sure they're not perfect, but I do respect that they seem to want to use their platform to like elevate the conversation and have important commentary and they donate a lot of the money that they make. And I think they're both still very well off, very wealthy people because of their careers, but they seem to be pretty grounded people who are trying to be good humans as well. And, and again, I think Mr. Beast is probably trying to do that in his own way, but it just, to me, it sometimes feels more like an act and feels a little gross on the Mr. Beast side of things. Yeah. So I have two thoughts there. Mm -hmm. I actually knew about John Green and Hank Green before like the young adult novels, which is uh, mainly because of Crash Course, because nice. it's perfectly timed back when I was, you know, in middle and high school. And it's like, oh, this is a great way to study for biology, mm -hmm. you know. And frankly, it was. But the thought in terms of them being good humans, I largely it could also be straight up just age. These guys are not the typical YouTube millionaire, internet money people who, you know, blow up on the internet at like the age of like 19 and like you know, now have a mansion in LA. They, you know, they're like people who have had lived lives and now just like happen to have success on YouTube. But yes, Hank Green is all over my TikTok all the time. <laughs> For what it's worth listening to like Mr. Beast talk about YouTube on some other like podcast shows, like the guy is very smart and very like... I don't want to say calculating in a bad way, but like is very smart about how he does YouTube and is very mm -hmm. obsessed with making good videos. But I also did feel a sense of just like fatigue watching his shows every time he spends a bunch of money. Like I experienced like spending fatigue very, very quickly. So much so that I tend to be like a very avoidant of spending money purely to just avoid that feeling. And watching his videos always makes me feel that like a hundred times because I see this man just blow large amounts of money. That's not the feeling that I have as much. Gotcha. To me, it's more like he films himself. His early stuff, right, was mm -hmm. him filming himself giving away $1,000 to a homeless person. Mm -hmm. And it's like, on the one hand, it is this feel-good moment, and it's cool. It's cool to like give money away. Casey Neistat mm -hmm. has done a good job of this, where he will like get a brand deal. Like He was kind of doing this pretty early on. He would get a brand deal... And then be like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to give this money away and then I'm going to create a video for you about giving it away. Mm -hmm. And so, like, on the one hand, there are positive incentives, I think, can be healthy and can be OK. But on the other hand, there's like when you do it over and over again, I see it yeah, starts yeah. to feel like you're exploiting people a little bit, like you're sort of exploiting people's shitty situations to make mm -hmm. content and even. Yeah. You know, now he's not giving away. Uh, he does do stuff where he'll give big, massive amounts of money or goods to charity in really wild ways. Like he'll go buy an entire store of mm -hmm. stuff, and it's interesting. And but there's something about like dangling Lambos in front of people and mm -hmm. being like, "Ha ha ha!" Like run, like oh yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Run for me, like that's just sort of exploiting this culture of yeah you know, this capitalist culture and society that we live in. And there's never on his channel the introspection because there isn't really space for it because he's trying to right. grow and just be entertainment and just get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Whereas I think some other channels at least do a good job of balancing the mm -hmm. introspection of like, yeah, hey, I'm going to do this, but I'm also going to be like questioning the system and thinking yeah. about why we're doing yeah. this. And I don't know that Bo Burnham would say that your intentions don't mean shit, right? Like mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a line in his new, mm -hmm. his new special. So maybe it doesn't actually matter what your intentions are. Maybe the introspection doesn't absolve you of mm -hmm. what you're doing. But there is just something about Mr. Beast that like, while I do find it entertaining transparently, I also just feel a little icky sometimes watching mm -hmm. his stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. I, I mean, I think the way you put it was perfect, right? Mr. Beast is just modern day game shows in the same way that like, you know, David Dobrik was modern day friends and etc. And when you say like almost like, I get it, right? A lot of the like, quote unquote, charity work is does sometimes feel very like disingenuous just because like you are. And yeah, there is very like little room for introspection. I think that oddly enough, I think Mr. Beast in a podcast puts it very well in that on YouTube, you have like, relationship creators who build like a very personal relationship mm -hmm. to you like Casey Neistat like Emma Chamberlain granted I don't know or is some of that still like performative or totally is casual but actually performative in like times two and then on the other hand there's like Mr. Beast creators who are very like over the top like it's almost the same thing as like watching mukbangs for example right mm -hmm. it's it's this like you want to watch this like larger than life like thing happen because dopamine and serotonin and whatever receptors. So, yeah, I don't know. And Mr. Mm -hmm. Beast is trying to game the algorithm. He's trying to figure out, like, what people want. Yeah. And he's just trying to feed them that in the largest quantities that he possibly can. For sure. um, and he's doing some good. Like, he, like, I've thought about trying to emulate some of the ways that Mr. Beast works. Like, you know, if we've already got a marketing budget at Crit, why not take that marketing budget and do some good with it and try to mm -hmm. also, like, leverage that good to achieve our original marketing goals yeah and sort of do two things at once and and you know is it better to do this sort of publicity stunt that gives money to a charity and yeah you're creating a video out of it but your alternative was to dump that money into facebook or google's hands or something paying for ads i don't fucking know man yeah. <laughs> yeah. but i can't help but feel a little uncomfortable with it sometimes and just like yeah i do think the comment on the age thing is mm -hmm. not to discredit young people or anything like that mm -hmm. but there's a reality to we grow and mature as humans and yeah mm -hmm. i think like when hank and john started on youtube john was already like 27 and hank was in mm -hmm. his 30s or 40s mm -hmm. even 30s maybe and then yeah. casey neistat kind of similarly mm -hmm. grew up was pretty young, I think, when he got did some of the early HBO stuff. Maybe I can't remember mm -hmm. his full story. He was still, it was still relatively old at the time, like compared to the current YouTubers, right? Yeah, yeah. compared to yeah. current YouTubers or TikTokers, and yeah, I think I'm sure there are psychologists who have done studies on like what that kind of hitting the lottery uh, career-wise mm -hmm. and everything does to your psyche, and it's got to be brutal to go through that. Yeah. I mean, because we were both young. I mean, I'm sure it's just the maturity thing, but not specifically tied to age, but age can be correlated with maturity. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of like unproblematic YouTubers are a lot older because their prefrontal cortex has developed more. <laughs> so I was a dumbass when I was 19. <laughs> I yeah. am still a dumbass. <laughs> I still have Fair. bad takes sometimes. Yeah. And it's okay. 
Mm-hmm. We're changing, evolving humans. That's yeah. cool. That's good. This became an interesting episode. <laughs> <laughs> this got so far from security at some point when they're out. Are you gonna do buy a used Lamborghini and then absolutely create a vlog about who's <sighs> the last one to take their hand off the Lamborghini? A hundred percent. I will not. But <laughs> is that a great thing to do at a conference? Like buy a Lamborghini for the last one to take their hands off? Like nobody is leaving that Lamborghini, you know. <laughs> The rest of the conference, you know, that's smart. That's if COVID didn't exist, I would do it. If COVID didn't exist and we found a like edgy enough brand who wanted to like make a splash at RSA, we would totally roll in a Lamborghini and say last person to take off their hand. Uh, that would completely screw up RSA and be so funny. That would actually be kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. There's also something that I feel better about doing that at RSA where the majority of people are like in tech and like fairly well off already and like just sort of there's a point where it starts to become almost a meme on top of a meme on top of a meme and like Mm -hmm. all about that meta irony yeah yeah you can gen z humor i just need to convince myself that it's ironic and that it's an art statement and not something that i'm doing for my own personal gain yep you've very quickly now become uh denma at balenciaga but cool Cool, cool, cool. So I'm on autotrader.com. Which popular model of Lamborghini do we want to look for? I've got an Aventador, a Gallardo, Giardo. Oh, God, I'm an idiot. Andrew, do you have a dream car? Real quick. I just want to look this up and then I will answer your question. Okay. I want to see how much a used Lamborghini would cost. So how much you're going to have to convince a brand. What like year? Here's a 2010 with 15,000 miles. I assume we're probably cool with something a little shittier than that, right? Yeah, sure. So let's sort. Not now. Price lowest. Okay, I've got a, oh, hey, that's not bad. A used 2004 Lamborghini Gallardo. How do you say that word? I'm, I don't know. Okay. I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> For $95,000. 15,000 miles. Only 15,000 miles, Sean. That's not bad. Um, for $81,000, 60,000 miles. So Crit does not have the marketing budget for this. But if you can convince one of your clients to buy mm-hmm. a Lamborghini and roll it into Black Hat this year... I will be very impressed. <laughs> You're like, I will be the first to put my hand <laughs> on that car. <laughs> Just because I'm critical of the capitalist society we live in doesn't uh, mean... <laughs> God damn it. Sorry. <laughs> doesn't mean I'm not going to be the first in line. Come on, Sean. Do I have a dream car? I also don't really give a fuck about cars. Nice. My dream car at one point, I would have for sure said a Tesla. And now mm-hmm. there's a part of me that also feels weird about that Mm -hmm. even though it's a well-made car it's a quality product yeah Mm -hmm. my second this is the liberal (laughs) like liberal hipster dude in a sweater that i am i currently drive a like a used subaru outback and i fucking love it you're gonna subaru i fucking love it (laughs) i am a meme of myself john yeah yeah i love my subaru outback man Mm -hmm. i fucking love that car it's been a fantastic purchase you and every other rock climber than a lamborghini (laughs) and if i could get an electric subaru there we go that's my new dream car is an electric subaru which also sounds funny electric subaru it just sounds funny to me it is is. (laughs) i don't think i know enough about cars to know why that's funny completely but no 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 it's literally just the words sound funny to me electric subaru 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 is just a funny word it's just a silly word it's a silly word do you have a dream car as someone who just said they know nothing about cars i do i did a used 2004 lamborghini gallardo it is not a used it is (laughs) i have three dream cars 
three dream cars. Oh, I have shit. three dream cars. One is one of those like blue Volkswagen buses because internally I am a hippie from the 70s, apparently. I thank you for sending me the Lamborghini on Slack. I appreciate it. Let's make sure to give Mary zero context. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Two is a C4 Corvette. Um, and there's a funny story to this, specifically that I almost bought one in college for $4,000 and got to test drive it. And I was so close to doing it. And then I had in my head the thought, Sean, do you spend your hard-earned cash from freelancing on tuition or do you spend it on this Corvette? And I deliberated for a really long <laughs> time. And then I was responsible and I paid tuition. And you have no idea how much I regret it to this day. <laughs> that I do not have a near mint condition crossfire Corvette. And just like, I don't know, like this beautiful glossy black i barely know how to drive at the time by the way <laughs> so i would have died in that corvette but i still regret it i have had a similar thought many like every time i've gone to buy a car there is a small part of me that wants to buy just like because you can get ridiculous sports cars for very cheap if you are willing to buy a used sports car and gamble on it like you could drop five grand and get a bmw or something and i have been so tempted so many times I have a good friend. He's a former client of ours, but we were friends before he was a client. Andy Sievers, the CEO of Case Status. And he is actually the person who pulls the trigger on those. He knows a shit ton about cars for one. So he knows what he's getting himself into. His first ridiculous car was a Maserati. And then he had an Audi R8 wow. for a little while. And then I think he just bought... What is the car that like the original Tesla Roadster was based off of? I, I don't know. <laughs> You're asking the wrong person. Lotus. He, I think he just bought a Lotus. Oh, okay. And the 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 infuriating thing about him is that he always manages to turn these things for a profit. Oh, nice. Like he will find some crazy good deal on like I think he bought the Maserati for like thirty or forty grand, mm -hmm. and then sold it two years later for like like if he bought it for forty grand, he sold it for like thirty six, and like. <laughs> So he he spends very and I think he rented it out on like Turo while he had it. Mm -hmm. And so either broke even or he sold it for a profit, which mm -hmm. I am convinced in like deep inside me that if I ever tried to do that, it would just become a massive money pit that would yep. Yep. that would destroy me. Like I do not have the <laughs> know how or the luck to pull yeah. something like that off. So I am perfectly happy with my 2014 Subaru. Nice, nice, nice. I Uber and Subway everywhere, like a New Yorker. So can't relate. But yeah. What did you say what the other car was? The court uh, the last one. The third one. Honestly, the one that I really want is a Japanese K truck. I don't know. K what this like K-E-I. It's a very tiny truck. K it's just a very tiny truck. K-A-I. K-E-I. K-E-I. Oh yes. These are yes. dope. <laughs> yes. I love that's it. That's all I want. That's all I want. I think that's what you need. That's yep. what you need so much more than the yep. Corvette. I think it just fits my personality. Oh, more. it does. It fits your yeah. penguin wallet. You can't expose me like that. They <laughs> <laughs> can't know. <laughs> it perfectly fits your fuzzy penguin wallet. It Sean. does. It does. <laughs> it does. I kind of want one of these now. This is this would be so much fun to drive around. Yeah. This is I'd race you, but I don't think it goes faster. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, there's a pink one. I'll get the pink. Oh, nice. You can get okay. the the blue or the white. Okay. And we'll we'll race each other. Perfect. Oh Perfect. my god.
this looks like so much fun. I won't. Autotrader.com. <laughs> cool. On that note, anything else for the pod? No, I guess I should go get something done today. Lovely yeah. thing about having the podcast on my calendar. I have checked one thing off my list, nice. no matter what else happens today. I'm glad. Cool. So thank you for that, Sean. No problem. Good talking to you. Long time no speak. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Happy cool. New Year. Happy New Year. First pot of the year. First pot of the year. You just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants, a creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.